And uh, it's the table breakers, they've done it again. Is this the biggest panel we've ever had on, Jason? One day you'll have a guy throwing mid-70s, and next week you'll have a guy throwing 55-mile fastballs. Hello and welcome to Ball Caps and Bagpipe, Scotland's premier bagpipe podcast where we cover all sorts of things about bagpipes. Ewan, what's your favourite bagpipe? Um, it's, well, you know, I'll give you my favourite bagpipe fact, okay. which is the plural of bagpipes is bagpipes. Right. It's not bagpipes as you would think it would be if you were doing your sort of English lessons. But no, it's, it's bagpipes. It's a single plural. In there somewhere, I would, I would really enjoy bagpipes. I've got many bagpipes. I've got one out the back. You can there. get cream for that. <laughs> I've got my favourite bagpipes is uh, I've got one with a beautiful brass schmiegel um, and a, a tartan flanker dunk, and it honestly sounds absolutely heavenly. Um, so yeah, that cover that covers the extent of what's going on in the bagpipe world. I'm wondering if you want to talk some baseball now. Yeah, let, let's let's do that. Um, because you know, if we were going to talk about ball caps, we're recording this on Sunday and airing it on Monday. I might have jinxed the Giants, but you know, or the 49ers. See, there's the thing, they're all San Francisco. Let's 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 I'm getting confused. Let's stick to baseball. Way so the day's the day's gonna be really exciting because we've got um someone from the Ga- Glasgow Galaxy on Roy, and Roy's got quite a story, so we're gonna get speaking to him. Really keen to find out like what got him started in baseball. I'm always absolutely enthralled by anybody from Scotland that can grow up here in these conditions and end up liking this sport that is such a minority that it's practically invisible here. Which I guess what will get you started in in baseball, Ewan? Uh, in terms of baseball Scotland, because I've been following baseball because I write for American companies. So late at night for me was sort of prime baseball time. For them, but um, I remember just walking past uh, the what I now know is is the field here in Edinburgh, just hearing the crack of a baseball, and that was so out of place. But yeah. no, I know that sound, but I'm in Scotland. That's not right. Looked over, there was some baseball being played. Said, right, okay, I'll look that up when I get home. Got home, googled, found Baseball Scotland's Facebook page, dropped in a message, and they're like, yeah, come along, come along to a training session. We've got one on Thursday um dropped in it all started from there now there was a little bit of covid in between that because i heard the baseball crack before lockdown and then there was a two years of haven't done anything staying at home not going out and then getting to the field but essentially was that the crack of the baseball the sounds of the wood the bounce of the ball the search on the facebook and with Edinburgh's right field, you're very lucky you didn't hear the smash of a car window um, as it sailed over there. Um, it's interesting, that's that's what these sessions are all about, is getting people interested in the sport, hopefully, and letting them know where to go. And it occurred to me, we, we probably didn't talk, we, when we had Cami on last week, about where people in Aberdeen who are interested in baseball would like to go, or where they could go if they're interested in the sport. Why don't why don't you tell us a wee bit, you and where can people from Aberdeen that are interested in this sport, where can they go? I think we can widen it out from Aberdeen. I think we can say everybody, because right now it's facebook.com slash baseball Scotland. We're still working on a refreshed website for the 2024 season. But that Facebook page, uh, as well as the links to the individual clubs and Facebook, but drop a message into 
Baseball Scotland on Facebook. It gets picked up by the admins. Or that might be Paul, might be myself, might be others who are dealing with that. And then they'll be able to direct you and take it from there. Just a quick, simple message going, I'm interested. And that could be in the messenger. That could be just left as a comment. And uh, we'll take it from there. We'll guide you. We'll point you towards that way. And uh, if you're in Aberdeen, that's great. We'll get you to Aberdeen. If you're in Dundee, we'll tell you you've got to go over the water to that windy bit over there. Glasgow, Edinburgh is easy enough. If if you're in Perth, well, you know, we'll send your train timetable and you can cross your fingers that it's not too windy every Sunday. But we'll sort it. Yeah, yeah. The good thing about being in Scotland is everybody's good at swinging a bat, but the hardest part is learning how to use a glove. So that's what I learned growing up in Coat Bridge. Stuck out like a sore thumb because it was the only one that carried a bat and a ball. Um, there hasn't been much happening in, uh, here in Scotland with baseball. We're still waiting for the season to kick off. But in the MLB, there were some changes or some news that came out, particularly with the Hall of Fame. Um Keen to get your views on that, you and but I guess you can never speak about the Hall of Fame without having the discussion, and it's a very passionate discussion as to whether you think people that have been caught using performance-enhancing drugs like Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens this year, Gary Sheffield was up um, for the Hall of Fame. Do you think they deserve to be in that Hall of Fame, or do you think? What do you think? Well, I think first of all, one of the key words that you used there, Danny, was caught. Okay, because you have to decide yourself if what happened in the PED era was restricted to like four people or whether it was an endemic situation where everybody was playing catch up. Now, if you think it's the former and it's just those four people and everybody else was squeaky clean, then those four don't get in. If you think that they got caught but everybody else didn't, and they all still got in, then you're going to sort of lean towards, well, okay, let's put them in with an asterisk. Let's have a hall of questionables uh, to, to go in there as well. And that also takes care of the Peter Rolls case. But I think one of the most persuasive arguments, um, I'll stick with Barry Bonds here, being, being, a, being a giant, so I have a little bit of affinity with that side of things, yeah. which is if you stopped his career, before he bulked up, that's still a Hall of Fame worthy career. You could still vote on that early bit and see if you go in or not. But look, everything is of its time. You know, should should pictures from 1968 be directly compared to pictures of 1967 or 1969 with the difference in the height of the mount? You know, we just regard those stats as being identical, but there are lots of things influence those stats like should we have a star next to all the stats for base running uh, in MLB for 2023 because it was what six six inches shorter or something on the base path to, to improve it and the numbers went up baseball loves comparing itself all the time and it thinks it's set in amber it's not it's a big wavy change of circumstances so to, to pick out a handful of people and say, not you, then it, it's it's a tough one. Take Phil Necro. Is it Phil Necro, yeah. the knuckleball? Yep. Um, no, I'm not thinking of that. There's another name I'm thinking of who was never caught tampering the ball. But everybody looked at him and went, we think you're tampering the ball. Yeah. Okay, so is that thought enough to stop that person in, in general? 
getting into a Hall of Fame. It's not any different to somebody who you think was using PEDs because yeah. they're both breaking the rules. They're both As getting in- away with breaking the rules. So why is one a red flag and one is, oh, you cheeky chappy. Go on then. It's interesting. Like, I, you would look at David Ortiz for the Boston Red Sox, and if you could ever draw a guy that was a PED user, it would look exactly like David Ortiz. And yet he's in the Hall of Fame. I'm, I'm probably being a wee bit uh, aggressive on him because he's a Boston Red Sox. But, you know, I've, I'm not particularly passionate about this either way. Um, I really wanted Gary Sheffield to get in because I love Gary Sheffield. I loved watching him play growing up. And I know that he would never get in unless Bonds gets in first. But, you know, career 300, um, hitter 500 home runs. I guess when this is going to get interesting and when I will get passionate about it is 15, 20 years down the line when Altuve, and his name will end up on the ballot, when Altuve's name ends up there. And they go, actually, these guys cheated and we caught them. But you also cheated in a different way and got caught. But if he gets in, then I'll have a lot to say about the guys that cheated in a different way. Um, and didn't get in. It would be interesting, but the names that got in this year were Todd Helton, uh, Moore, the catcher, and Adrian Beltre. So three really good players. I think probably deserve to get in there anyway. But we're not here just to talk about MLB. We're here to talk about baseball in Scotland. So I'm going to welcome Roy in in a minute. Roy McPherson. Um, Roy, welcome in to the glitz and glamour of Ball caps and bagpipes, how you doing, mate? You all right? Good evening, gents. Yeah, good, thank you. Are you wearing your wild thing, Ricky Vaughan? As I am. Number Absolutely. 99. <laughs> are, you, is that, are, you, are you Indians? Is that your team? Or do you just like that movie? No, I was just more the movie. Uh, yeah, and more related probably because I pitched last season as well. Aye. Last myself as a wild thing, although it wasn't too bad. <laughs> What, is, what team do you follow, Roy? Um, to be honest, it's kind of varied over the years. Um, Glory back... Hunter! Glory Hunter! <laughs> I think more it was kind of aligned when the time when I played the first time round, it was the Houston Astros. The cap was mimicked with the stars and I think that we kind of watched, watched it there. But um, I kind of follow more individuals in that sense and, and, it, and it's more through trying to see what they do in their positions. Um, you know, what was so the like, first baseball name that you can remember clearly then? Well, going back, um, Sosa and a few of those that were there, but that was that was names back then when I kind of did. But, you know, ultimately then I was more my basketball that took my flavour, so I, I kind of named more basketball players. Um, than I could baseball, um, and it kind of came came around as a. Actually, the first time when I played it, it was more of a. I kind of fell the summer when the the, the winter when the basketball wasn't on as much. The season wasn't running. Always seen myself more of a kind of an American sports kid. I tried to touch um, American football and things like that as well. Um, played basketball at a reasonable level through school and stuff. Um, played under 18 Scotland and, and things like that. Um, and then I did the baseball as a, a kind of sidebar um, through that. And now we're talking 15 plus years ago was the first time I played it um, for a bit of season where 
the Stars were the initial team I joined. And then there was the, the numbers kind of got, and I think there was a wee bit of internal politics, um, as as happens. And uh, the Strathclyde Falcons were a spin-off team. And for me at the time, transportation through Glasgow and stuff up to Toll Cross wasn't as easy. Um, uh, so the Strathclyde Falcons trained in Linwood. So that was closer for me. So um, I moved to their team and um, played with, well, I remember Bill, our class referee um, or umpire, um, and Carl um, and a few others there that kind of started that side of the, the, the Strathclyde Falcons. So that's where it started me. There are hieroglyphics carved into the walls of Glasgow of people that remember Bill. He's been about that long in baseball in Scotland, uh, which is why he's in the Hall of Fame, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, so, how, so we'll rewind a wee bit there, Roy. How is mm-hmm. it? What, what sparked you to say, I'm going to give baseball a tryout? And I know you spoke a wee bit about you know your interest in American sports and that, but what was it like playing back then? How did you get interested? What what really drew you to, to that, um, aside from filling the summer? Do you know, it was it was more just around trying another American sport. As I say, I always I liked it. I would watch the games and I had a I had a decent arm on me when I was a kid, you know, through doing school sports that you did then, you know, one of the school you weren't we weren't allowed the javelins. I think that was maybe because I was from Paisley. <laughs> You know, you weren't allowed to issue you as a spear, effectively. So, um, the throwing of a throwing of an object was a cricket ball across the length of the field, and they measured how long you could throw it. Well, I could pretty much clear the field and into the fence behind, types of things. So, you know, it was one of the teachers who said, "You, know, you should try playing baseball." Um, and I looked it up, found a local uh, contact at the time, um, and and went along. And when it was started, then. They trained on the south side of Glasgow. Um, they had a partnership with the, the cricket team, I think, where they shared a kind of ground as such. Um, and uh, that's where it all stemmed from for there, you know, just the, the fact that I liked it and tried to see if I was any good at it, um, given that I had a bit of a, at that time, you know, I was a bit more of an athlete than I am currently. <laughs> and uh, and just enjoyed it. Life does that to you. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Married life. And, well, I, I must say, because when I met my wife, I worked in a, a health club and I was a slim thir- 13 and a half stone. I certainly am that now. <laughs> <laughs> so you just down move the in, Once you're married, you don't need to worry about it. Just sit back. The ring's on. <laughs> it sure does. Danny, how long have you been married? I've got two years in. Yeah, well, <laughs> let's revisit that comment in five years' time, shall yeah. we? We'll see how at that age you say. Uh, I was married 2009, so I'm a few, a few ahead of you. Aye, just a few. Um, how long did you play when you were younger? In what position did you play? Was it pitcher as well? Um, no, to be well, I did pitch in the latter stages, but when I first started, I played third base. That right. was my initial love of where I liked to be on the field, and then it, that was where we trained. I played for two seasons, so I think a season with the Stars and a season with the the Falcons. Right. Um, at that point, um, I mean, Toe Cross when the first when I first was there, there was no backstop. You know, the ground was as 
rough as toast, you know, it's bad in certain bits now, but it was terrible back then, you know, before you put a lot of work into making the field what it is today. Um, the backstop was a makeshift net that we had to put up and down every time we started. Um, and it was it was difficult, but uh, it was third base that took my took my love. I just liked that. I always seemed to when you watched it on the telly, you would always see that as one of the very most active positions. And at the start as well, you know, mainly I was one of very few that could make that throw mm-hmm. across the diamond as as quickly as it needs to go. Um, so it was kind of part of where I like to see myself. Plus the team thought I would be best suited to that position at the time. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's like shortstop's always a, the main focal point in a baseball team. Everybody wants to play shortstop. But I remember when I first started watching, it was 2003, and I think the first game I ever saw was St. Louis Cardinals versus the Cincinnati Reds. And it was just a, one of the Channel 5 games in the middle of July. It's the first time I sat down and watched a baseball game. And the person that I remember being really drawn to was Scott Rowland, the third baseman for St. Louis Cardinals. And he just had a rocket for an arm. And see that, you know, the ball getting hit. It gets to third base quicker than it gets to anywhere else on the diamond, doesn't it? If it gets hit up that way. And you need to be so quick and so athletic. So I think you do. The best plays, the golden glove highlights, all that. Third base is such a, an athletic position. Yeah. Which uh, these days I'm maybe not as suited to, but I think I still a fair enjoy throwing it from that corner. But no. yeah, you're right. It's a, an, a, an absolute hot pocket where the ball is coming at you straight off the bat and those who tend to pull it, you know, it's coming at you at speed. So, you know, it was not fair to put my body behind it, take the ball and try and get, get that quick transition to first. And it just, like you, when I watched the games, it was just just the position to me that seemed to be difficult, but rewarding when it was made, you know, because you were really chasing down on that runner, whereas the rest seemed to have another second or two at least to make that throw. Third didn't have that. It was literally catch and go. So. Yeah, I will say, like, I you know this, Roy, is a picture when somebody drills a ball off you and you just see it fly up that line like your heart's in your mouth, isn't it? But see, you got a third baseman that gets it. Like, Kieran pulled me out of so many holes this year when I was pitching, but I'd turn around expecting, looking out into left field and he's just sitting there with the ball. It's an amazing feeling when your third base backs you up like that. Yeah. No, sorry, on you go, Roy. I think, realistically, that happens in any of the infield positions, but... Third is the most one where you're expecting it to go by or, you know, it's the, the hardest position you feel. So you're right when it's taken in that corner and Mr. Bruins that you're talking about is a good third baseman. So. Aye. Aye. How long did you, so obviously you played a couple of seasons when you were younger. What was the, what was the time gap between you coming back? You're talking 15 years, are we talking Roughly, about? yeah. Aye, yeah. about 15 years. Yeah. Last season when I came back, it was the first time I'd, Throwing a ball and all that time. That's a long bus home. Did you get lost or something? What were you doing in that 15 year? Like? Do you know, it was, I was still playing the basketball really competitively at the time. Right. And it got to the stage, it was actually quite a big choice because the second season when I was playing with the Falcons, there was very still very little teams in Scotland. We travelled down south for some of our games, back like yeah. down to Sheffield and things. 
So there wasn't an awful lot of teams in Scotland. The main team we, we rivaled was the Edinburgh Diamond Devils, and it was a guy called Nick Clark right. that ran it at the time. Nick set up a Scottish Invitational team, um, and I was selected as one of the few from the Glasgow side, along with a couple from, obviously, the Edinburgh. And we played against a team for Ireland um, at the Meadowbank Stadium in Edinburgh. Um, and, you know, to be picked after only playing two seasons at the time to play in the Scotland Invitational there against, which we won, which was good. Um, we we uh, we played against them and it was, uh, it was an interesting choice at that point. But I had the opportunity. I was still, you know, playing a lot of basketball competitively and I was coaching as well at the basketball. So I had two commitments at that point, right. being playing and the coaching. Um, and at that point, that's why I stepped off and just and I decided I'll stick with the basketball just now um, and see how it goes. How did the basketball go then in the next couple of years? It did went really well. Yeah, we won a lot of local league stuff. We won the Scottish Cup and, and stuff like that through the in the basketball. You know, so as a kind of player and coach, we had a very good couple of seasons um, from that point of view. Um, but I was kind of, I've been plagued with a few injuries over the period um, as well, which kept me out from playing in the latter years. Um, and ultimately was one of the reasons why I came back to baseball in the sense my knees and my back were not handling the basketball court, the sharper twisting and turning, the contact on a non-contact sport yeah. um you know when you're fighting under the boards it isn't it's nobody's it's nobody's picnic in there you get battered and bruised about and i just my back and body just couldn't handle it i thought i don't want to be sitting about i'll go back to the second love i had at the time was the baseball i'll go back and see even if it's just something that's keeping me ticking over Nice. I, di I didn't know you played basketball, Roy. Uh, got a proposition for you then. Um, let's say at the start of the season, you and I both put down a tenner on the table. And if you can learn to throw a knuckleball for the mound before I can learn to slam dunk in a basketball court, I get your 20. Who do, who do you think, who do, who's your money on you and, and Roy? Who, do you think you can throw a knuckleball before I can slam dunk? Hold on a minute. Is that throwing a knuckleball without breaking the window in the kitchen in the back garden? <laughs> I've managed it. <laughs> it seems unlikely, but I managed it. Uh, let's let's just say, are you planning to put a trampoline in front of the basketball hoop? I'm 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 five foot four, a muscle Roy. I'll get up there. You trust me, man. <laughs> um, I'd say that's a fairly a fairly good bet. <laughs> maybe maybe one I'll take up. Uh. Nah, I don't. I'll maybe revise it and come back to you. Um, can you I, throw a knuckleball, Roy? I've never tried it. Disney need to. He just <laughs> throws it by hitters. Like he's got a fastball. I don't, man. <laughs> um, Roy, what, so this is what uh, you sort of spoke about that there. You're looking at coming back. Twenty This year, this was your first sort of campaign back, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, it was when I first came back. Uh, I think it was... The season had already been in a few weeks because he'd been playing games. And I think I was at training for maybe four or five weeks before teams were decided. Yeah. I think you guys had been, the committees had been looking at where people, because I think there was about four or five of us at that time, had joined. And 
these were looking where the split was going to be and what teams were needing more bodies. So that let me settle in. Um, I kind of went back to third base at the time, thinking that's where I would like to be still. Um, and then kind of touched on a couple of games and a couple of bits of training just to see if I could still throw the ball from the mound, which I had done in the past. Um, and it turned out, actually, I hadn't, well, maybe not lost as much as I thought I had, but certainly not thrown what I was throwing before. But it seemed to work for the team I'm in just now with the Galaxy, and it seemed to be a very good fit for us and um, certainly changed the second half of our season, I think without blowing my own trumpet in that sense. But I think the whole team in that sense changed the second half of the season. Um, I think where we got people put in more places, um, like our, our Golden Glove boy, Kieran, that took third base when I moved to the mound, Gavin at first, um, Becca at second. Shortstop was our probably our kind of floating place where we had a, a rotation of bodies in and out, I think. Um, but Noxie, uh, Andrew Knox, he had a great few games there um, as well. And I think that really helped the Galaxy in the second half of our seasons. I think you're right. It's good that you can you can be honest about that because, you know, you've got people in here go, oh, I don't have that much. It's like, shut up. You know you're good, man. Like, the, the three weeks, I'll give you, because I was doing a bit of research about this professional and all that, right? Um, yeah. The three games before you pitch, Roy, uh, the, the Galaxy lost... 13-6 to the Comets, right? And the week before that, they lost 14-4 to the Knights. Um, and the week before that, they lost 12-1 to Tayport. You come in um, in the weeks following that, and you pitch two innings, you get four Ks, you get one hit, and you lead the, the Galaxy for the, to pretty much your first win and their only win of the season. Um, but a, a turning point, because the games after that, you weren't getting blown out as much. You were losing very narrowly. I mean, how... How important is it to get that sort of rigidity where you have, you know, I know this is my pitcher, I know this is my third base, I know, you know, Kai out in centre field being tremendous all season. It, it went from being almost like a rotational sort of galaxy where, you know, you're trying out different positions for different people to actually having a bit of a core where you all know your kind of job. Did that, did that help a lot in the second half of the season? For sure. That was a massive change. And I can understand being, I've coached myself, the difficulty in a coach's decisions of where people play and how they play and sometimes having the fairness of rotating the bench just to give people time. You know, it's a difficult thing. It's not like we're professionals. We're not there. It's for, a lot of these people come for the love of the game. They understand they just want to play. And I think at that time, there was an awful lot of rotation that sometimes, you know, games that could have been closer, you know, people were getting in that maybe aren't experienced and. That at the start of the season was a big thing for the Galaxy team. You know, we had very few people that had played together, had played an awful lot of baseball. As the season went on and people got a better understanding, picked up their skill sets, they were getting better at what they were doing and then were given a set place and understood that position. That changed us around. I mean, there was a lot of those games, including that, real sticky one we had against you guys where it was you know a 2-1 win on the Comets um we held that all the way through on horrible conditions for both sides yeah um and ultimately was one in the ninth you know like as it well wasn't the ninth inning you know what I mean yeah. one in the, the last inning as we played it out um 
you know, it was it was great. But I think the confidence came from even just that single win. The confidence came to the team knowing that they could do it, they could win. And I think that brought them up a lot in the second half and the confidence they had in their position and the, the abilities that started to shine through in certain people. And um, I think that definitely helped us um, in the second half of the season. Did you have anything comparable to that in your basketball career where it was a team that wasn't at the top, that wasn't winning Scottish Cups, that, that you were involved in a essentially a rebuild? Yeah, I mean, there was a a big fracture in the basketball community um, in the west of Scotland. I'm not going to name the name of the teams, but one of the elite teams that was there that ran a National League team, etc. Um, there was a big fracture in that and there was a lot of people left it and they formed part of what we started as a secondary basketball club at that point. So we started from afresh with people that I didn't play with, I didn't know. We looked at how what positions they played. Some people were like, oh, I'm a power forward or I'm an inside man. We're like, no, you're not. You don't play that position. We see you more here. Try this position and try and see if you could do it. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Um, and we rotated people till we found what suited the team and what worked the, the best, you know. And I think, you know, that comparison can be quite easily made to the Galaxy second half of the season and how the people that got those positions and and worked hard for those positions, you know. These were the people that were regularly turning up to training and putting in the effort, which was quite clear in their performances as it went on. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I would I think the Galaxy were one of the, the probably the most single A team in that you had people that were in the first sort of two years of their baseball experience. You know, this is supposed to be a single-A league, but there are quite a lot of other teams, the Comets included, where we're like, we've got these players that they don't really, they're not getting time in a triple-A, so in order to give them time, they need to go into single-A. Guys like Gordo, who's played triple-A in 2019, uh, before there ever was a single-A. Um, but Galaxy really were that, that developing side and still are to that extent. How difficult is it then for you as a pitcher where you rely so much on your defence and your defence are people that are learning the position. So you need to make some allowance for errors. But how difficult is it to, to reset when, you know, you're, you're pitching, you get a routine play and that routine play isn't so routine for someone and then you suddenly need to reset and, you know, start um, trying to get out the inning. Is that difficult for you just managing the, the mental aspect of pitching? In some senses, yeah. I mean, you're right. You do understand that it's a, a developing team and people are taking on maybe roles or, you know, they're not long in that position. And I'm sure you realise it as well sometimes and you rotate people in, you know. But errors happen, you know. It's the ones where, for me, it's two ways. If it happens just because it was a good hit or something, you know, and it's an error, fine. It's the ones where if you don't try and you're not putting the real effort in and you're a bit half-hearted at it, then that's not an error for me in the sense that it's there. It's, it's, it's a kind of la the lack of effort part's hard. But to switch it from a, a psychological point, you're right, it's difficult. We did have one game where I think we'd went into the fourth inning. I think it was the Tayport game. We were 6-1 up and into the Tayport game in the fourth inning. I'd thrown 40 pitches going into the fourth. 
28 strikes and 12 balls. I'm having a tremendous game. And then a couple of errors change that. The score differs. The score starts creeping back up. They end up with people on base through the, they've hit one or two and then we got a couple of errors. And before we know it, it was 6-5 going into the last and then they got two hits and we lost the game by one run. You know, and it was difficult. It was a hard one. And I put a lot of that on it myself at times, especially in one of the games where, you know, psychologically maybe I wasn't ready. First one of the first games I did. And it was, you know, getting halfway through. And you start to worry because there's a big onus on that picture to make sure you're putting it where it needs to be, given them and given the team that's behind you the ultimate, you know, opportunity to field it as quickly, the best they can and get it get the out wherever they can, you know, and there is that pressure if you don't do it right, you know, um, it's all your fault. <laughs> I think I think you definitely feel it on the mound more than you feel it anywhere else, you know, feel that responsibility more than you feel it in the batter's box or centre field or left field or third base. I think, you know, you, you carry the weight of the team a lot of the time as a pitcher because you're right, you're sort of, you're the person that starts every single play that's made on that diamond, you know, then nothing nothing happens before you're ready to go. So it's difficult. The mental part of it is difficult. But what I will say is you never, you always look so chill on the mound. I imagine that's quite a good thing for the people around you. Because I know, like, when I get in that situation where people are making errors, I'm like, I'll just do it my fucking cell then I'll strike everybody out. And then, you know, I start overthrowing it and hitting people. And it just goes, I make it worse. I make it more horribly wrong. But you, you always seem quite chill and level-headed on the mound. On the outside, mate. <laughs> Not without giving away my secrets, you know. Inside, I'm beating myself up and screaming at myself. But Aye. you're right. And sometimes if the team sees my frustration, it worries them more. Yeah. So, you know, trying to not show that, being a wee bit more experienced in playing different levels of game, whether it's basketball or baseball, you know if you're you're feeling the pressure, everybody else is feeling the pressure. And if I show that and then they see it, you know, and, the, you know, some of them, you know, they're looking at you as if they want you to make the play, then I don't want that added pressure added to them. So I'll try and keep it in, you know, and make sure they don't see that from me. But, you know, there's definite times I'm biting my own lip and I'm, I'm churning inside because I'm... I'm I'm angry, you know, something I've did or something's happened, but you don't show it. You try and always play that cool, cool head where possible. Did the team surprise you at all last year? Uh, yeah, for sure at times where I think what it started, the, the change surprised me was where the camaraderie came in with the team and how the friendships built so quickly. And that then reflected in our performance in the second half of the, the, the year. What came from a team that was very fragmented and I was introduced to everybody as a new person. And they, then to me, um, the surprise was how well we, we gelled together so quickly in the last five, six games that we played and how we all turned around and the performances came around that way. So, And there's some different characters there from different worlds, as, as you would expect, that all just seemed to sink together when it came on the baseball field, which was good. Yeah. Um, I should have said, Roy, as well as this being an interview, it's absolutely a scouting report that I'm doing for next season. So I'm going to ask you now, what pitches do you throw? What's your RP? Now, 
seriously, what what is um do you, as a pitcher, are you trying different stuff or is it that you're and you don't need to tell me I throw this and I throw that and I throw the next thing, but do you rely just on placement or is it more of you know, I'm going to change speeds a lot. Where's your thinking when you're pitching? Initially, and I've no, I've no thing. I've, I've no uh, qualms about telling you what pitches I throw because it'll be your <laughs> guess to then try and figure it out if it's coming at you. <laughs> yeah, that's but, it. Uh, no, initially I stuck with just a two-seam fastball. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and what I tried to do was just get consistent placement. Do you know it was actually it was a good conversation I had with John. Um, who one of the games caught for us because we didn't have a catcher at the time. And it was literally just that game. And just just the calmness in which he said, he says, Roy, I don't need anything. Just put it in the glove. He says, if it swings left or right, whatever it is, at this level just now, I just need it in the glove. And it, it made sense, you know. And then he's like, just stick to one pitch. And at that time it was, it was just a two-seam. And the only variant I did was I would push, depending on the left or right hitter, I would push more left or right seam. And that would just give me that slight drift on the ball um, as I pushed through it. You know, if you pushed on the outside, it would drift down and in. And that was, I I favoured that one more, to be fair, because a lot of of the comments and everybody else are right-handed. Yeah. Um, so that down and in pitch, you know, you ask Matt and any of them, they hated that pitch when it <laughs> got hurled at them on the inside. He really did not like it. And uh, that was my go-to and that's what I stuck to. As it, the, the games went on and I did, I would try. I can throw a curve. Um, don't really like it because it, it's an awful lot of pressure on the elbow yeah. um, and the, the, the over-rotation of the wrist. Um, but in the latter, I was trying a bit of a, a slider um, as well, just getting it to drift away the opposite way so that I had that inside where I needed it. And those who were maybe on the plate, I could tail them off on the outside if they wanted to reach for it. And that was the two I stuck with for the whole season. Um, there, was a, there was a famous saying from Bruce Lee, totally different entity, but would you rather face somebody that's kicked 10,000 kicks once or done one kick 10,000 times? That and that's the, way I looked, that's the way I looked at it from my pitching point of view. Was it, was it better to do one pitch 10,000 times or 10,000 pitches once? So I stuck with that one pitch. It worked for Mariano Rivera, didn't it? Like, <laughs> Like, it's interesting, I remember, like, I, I, when I started pitching, I was exactly the same, just two-seamer all the time. Um, and in the time, in the comments, it was Albert pitching for us, and you'd, I'd be sitting behind Albert in centre field, and you'd see him walk three people and get somebody up to the plate and throw them, like, six curveballs in a row and just walk them. And he always, Albert will tell you, he's like, I want to play the game. Like, I don't just want to sit there and throw a ball. I want to pitch. And... I, See, years down the line, I completely get that now. Like, I'd rather sit and go, I, I don't want to sit up there and throw a ball. I do want to pitch. So I think it takes a certain mentality to go, you know, I'm going to zone in on perfecting this this one pitch uh, and I'm going to be okay with that. Because for me, I'd, I'd, I'd get bored really easily because I want to throw yeah. knuckleballs and curves and stuff like that. Which I guess leads me on to another question I had for you just as a pitcher. 
if you could develop a wipeout pitch, any pitch, and you've perfected it, you've mastered it, curve, slider, forkball, whatever it is, one pitch that's better than any other pitch in the league, what would you develop and why? I'd like a really nasty sinker. Something that would just, that can be thrown with velocity, but drops on its ass. Um, excuse the language. Drops on its backside as it goes. Um, that would be that would be something you know that I would love to develop more um, and have as a you know ninth inning, top of one pitch to win the game. And I know I'm putting it there, and they're not hitting it. I love the. I don't know if you've ever. There's a two seam sinker that Mad. It's a famous pitch, but. Maddox threw it and it like starts about 12 inches off the plate and it just cuts in towards his right hand side, towards his throwing arm. And always look at the pitches when you see a really good sinker, you're just thinking a ball shouldn't move that way. It shouldn't be no. able to cross back yeah. towards the throwing side. It looks amazing when yeah. when you really perfect it. If we can I take it back to the bit where you were talking about the, the guy throwing the curveballs, Albert, and stuff like that. Aye. When, when I first started the first few games and I was playing at third, and that at the time, the Galaxy had a couple of options of pitching, but we weren't, we weren't there. We had a few guys that were trying it at the time, and it was. And not only, I think, from a, a selfish point of view, me wanting to work, practice one pitching, master that one pitch, but looking at it from a fielder's point of view, it's quite you know, disheartening standing there at third base, watching people getting walk after walk after walk after walk when somebody's trying to do it. You know, for me, the time you practice the pitches and you put the effort in is in training, you work on them, you know, where you've got consistency. And that's what changed our second half of the season. Not only my pitching in certain aspects, but the whole team's consistency. Um, and given the others their opportunity to shine, their opportunity to do things and field the ball, you know. And what I kind of found as well was, you know, if I'm putting it down the, down the pipe and they miss it, great. Yeah. But me putting it down the pipe and they're hitting it, they're still, they're, I'm still doing my job. I'm still yeah. putting it where it needs to be. Them hitting it is just good fortune on the batter's timing and they've read the pitch right. That means then the rest of the field get to do it. And I think, that change for us as well definitely helped because there was a lot of periods at that where, you know, I think one of the games I watched near enough eight eight batters, you know, being walked in some way, shape or form. And I was just like, we can't continue. You know, this is why you're getting scores of 21 and 14-2 and that because we were just, the rest of the field, the rest of the guys were not getting the opportunity to do anything. And that was also when, you know, that part of John's conversation about, stick to something that just works and you know that seemed to that seemed to work for us all. I think you're right. Um I mean it certainly helps that you can go in and just go just get them to hit the ball when you've got somebody like Kai in center field who is like the fastest guy I've probably ever seen and just catches it. Like he could you could line out to the pitcher and Kai would field it. That's how quick yeah, and agile he is. Like it just covers some amount of ground. But listen, man, even with that one pitch, I'll throw some stats at you. Like, you pitched 15 and a third innings, you picked up 29 Ks, so, you know, almost two strikeouts every inning, and you held um, opposition to a 254 batting average. So that's that's an amazing season, you know, if you can go in and say, I'm holding, you know, there's one, one out of every four hitters is getting a hit off me, 
that's fine. Give them it, but I'm striking out two out of three. They come up against me. You know, that's the kind of thing you want. So even doing that, you're right at this level. It's just about hitting the glove and getting them to put it in play, isn't it? Absolutely. And I appreciate that. I mean, that's that's nice to hear those stats. I mean, I, I did see them, but it's just really understanding what that means to the game and, you know, um, something for me to develop on next year um, as we move into 2024, which is, for me, I've asked to be a wee bit more involved. Um, the guys who have joined me on the Sundays, I mean, I think I've done three Sundays up at the field um, and I've done different wee drills, working on fundamental footwork and and stuff, um, buying some bits and bobs, coaching materials that you can use, cones and nets and stuff to try and get these guys moving quicker and better and, yeah. you know, just having a better understanding of how they can do it themselves and what works for them, you know, and where I see, I'm not saying I'm an expert in any manner, but because I've coached a lot of different sports over the years, you kind of have a knack for seeing where people are, you know, maybe needing a wee adjustment to help them out, but also just bringing a bit of fun and a bit of difference to it, just to try and work on um, the basics for us, because we are still a developing team and I'm, you know, I think if we stick with the same squad we finished with last year, um, I think going into this season, we're going to have um, a much better year. And as we start to run out of tape on the podcast, look at me, run out of tape, jeez. <laughs> but as we come come closer to the end, what if people want to join that squad? What if there's somebody who's just stumbled over this? Hi, follow us, facebook.com slash baseballscotland. What, how can they join in the Galaxy? How can they get along and have become part of this? Contact the team, come up, be enthusiastic, willing to learn and, and, and pick up the sport. We're all there to help. They're a good bunch of people. And, um, you know, I think anybody that turns up from that first point of view, we've got a warm welcome and then we'll enjoy seeing what baseball in Scotland's all about. And if you're thinking, listen, if you're listening and thinking it's very complicated, it's not. Somebody throws the ball, somebody swings the bat. We do that for three hours. Exactly, and if you do turn up to if you do turn up to Glasgow, you might be privy to seeing Roy and I swearing at each other from opposing mounds in a derby. That no, I'm only kidding and do that. Roy, you don't know enough swear words, Danny. I don't. I'm, I'm young and innocent Catholic values. That's me. Um, so, Roy, because you're a veteran, old school guy, I felt like a dairy game here, and um, I've prepared because all the old school baseball players have cool nicknames and it just occurred to me you don't have a cool nickname so I'm going to give you a cool nickname and I'm going to give you some sort of uh, authority on what that nickname should be so I've got four different nicknames and you can tell me thumbs up you like this one okay. thumbs down that one's shite okay the first one I've got is Royota Yaris like Toyota Yaris what do we think the Royota no, Yaris no Right, I like this one. What about Royd Rage? He's getting absolutely Royd Rage up there. There's Roy in the Royd Rage. I, I don't think I, I fit that image, though. I don't have uh, the Royd Rage body, mate, I'm afraid. So that would be a... <laughs> right, the next one, I need to guess your height, Fev. So what about Royce the 5'10"? About five, uh, well, that's, that's close. I am 5'10". Um, right. Well, I might, so, well I'm five nine and three quarters. If you ask my wife, she'll argue that point. And I'll state it, but yeah, I'm close enough to five ten. That's a maybe. 
Royce to five ten. I like that one. Cool. Right. The next one, uh, it's more of a. It's not a Roy uh, pun, but it is to do with your veteran presence. Vitamin rush. Vitamin rush. Big vitamin. <laughs> big vitamin on the mound. What do we think? Yeah. I mean, um, uh, I'm, I'm no, I'm no. Do you know the guys, Kieran and uh, Gavin? They fondly nicknamed me Big Papa. <laughs> big Papa. Love it. I love it when you call me big pa- right, okay. exactly. To be fair, I've, I've got one to throw into the mix as well here. Go on you then, go. Yeah. Yeah. You go for it, Given that you're not allowed to choose your own nickname and it's usually not something that's completely complimentary, given you're focused on one pick, how about Roy Predictable McPherson? Yeah, that sounds good, yeah. yeah that, would, that would work. Right, I've got another one, Roy, and I'm going to roll it in the bottom of the screen because it's quite a... Quite a long one, so you're going to need to have got a piece of paper here, but I'm going to read it out. It is chicken and mushroom pot noodle with Roy sauce, a.k.a. Big Saucy, a.k.a. Big Sauce Man, a.k.a. Doing the bins because the storm saucelins moving in, a.k.a. dfa from the 40-man sauce star, a.k.a. David Hassel sauce. <laughs> I like the, the Dave Hassel at the end. I don't think I could remember the rest of it. <laughs> no, I, I, I would really like to go, guys, listen... We need to be aggressive in the box because big saucerling is out there. And big saucerling, yeah, that would work. Big storm saucerling's blowing the bins about. <laughs> That's just a that one, Danny. It's all cross. It's top of the hill. Uh, Roy, cheers so much for jumping on and speaking with, with you and I. Uh, really glad you're back, man, and it's been a pleasure um, competing against you all season, man. Like, I'm looking forward to getting back out of the field and you know, training together, then becoming mortal enemies as soon as the weekend rolls around all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, no better way, mate. No better way. Um, no, no, Rocky and Apollo Creed. That's Hated it. each other, but the best of pals. Uh, exactly that, Roy. Uh, Ewan, what do we need left to say before we wrap up the episode? Uh, we, we, we've got um, errata and footnotes uh, for those people who've been following the entire show. First of all, it was Gaylord Perry that I was talking about who right. threw the spitball and who never threw never threw a spitball, never threw a spitball, but right. did get in the Hall of Fame in 1991 and was caught once uh, after 20 years. Um, and Danny, Danny, I've just been having a look through ridiculous box scores of the past. Okay. And, and you were wrong, Erler. You didn't watch the Reds and the Cardinals uh, in July. The closest I can find is June the 26th, 2003, Cincinnati Reds, seven runs of 12 hits and no errors against the St. Louis Cardinals, 11 runs of 17 hits and no errors. I've got the box score for your very first game sitting here. There we go. You know, you know the funny thing about that, I'll tell you one quick funny story before we go out. I, I, I really think it's important to have a team you follow, but also a player you follow. So I'm going to, I said, I'm going to follow the first person that hits a home run in whatever team. That's going to be my guy. And the first person to hit a home run was our second baseman. It was a guy called Bo Hart, who had been called up from the minors for two days and then sent back down and never heard from again. And he works in IT now. So he wasn't my guy for long. Uh, and then I went over to support the Yankees after that. So there you go. Good. Um, so thanks, everyone, for listening in. We are going to be back in another two weeks um, with a new episode. Um, actually, Roy... Before I do this, I've done this all backwards. We did have some questions from Facebook. I'm just going to ask you quick fire. Um, okay. 
some questions, okay? No worries. Michaela said, how have you found the league so far? Any games that you look back on as highlights? So you've kind of spoke a wee bit about the league, but is there any game for you that stuck out more than the rest? Um, I thoroughly enjoyed our games at Tayport. They they were very competitive. I think they stand out um, as as one of the strongest games we've played in the second half um, for me. So, yeah, the games nice. stand out. Big... Um... Craig Fee, he's asked me a question that I personally would hate. I was saying to you before we started recording this, I hate this question as a pitcher. But he says, the best player he has pitched against and the player he hates facing from the mound. Now, me also in the single-A pitching, I'm never going to tell you who I don't like. I'll just say I like pitching everyone. So you can tell him exactly the same or you can just tell Fee, no you, you're fine. I'm all right pitching to you. That's all you need to worry about. I like where there's competition in that sense. Um, so it doesn't, I, I wouldn't say I, I dislike MD in the sense of pitching against. Maybe Big Big Fee, just because he's asked the question. But, uh, <laughs> but other than that, um, I like the I like air of competitiveness. I have that in me. So if I know I'm facing somebody good, you know, like always had some banter with Matt, you know, I, I know he, he's a, he can run the bases, you know, he's a cheeky get, he runs them, steals them, you name it, you know, and at times he's he's frustrating as hell. But I like that era competitiveness. If I was his age back in the day, I'd have been exactly the same type of person doing that exactly the same thing. So, you know, where I see that aspect, I do that and I, I do enjoy that. And I'll just say Big McPhee for asking the question. Aye, quite right. And I'll and strike him out the next time he's up. <laughs> Uh, you just can't happen now with a pitch, unfortunately. He's going to be on to you. Um, so, um, quiz. So Sweeney said um, that I have to quiz you on your affiliation with the Hells Angels. You can stay silent about that one if it's going to end me in trouble. Yeah, it might end me in trouble, but no, there's no affiliation anymore. <laughs> or ever really? was. Or uh, ever was. Or is doing part. a lot of work there. <laughs> no. Uh, Cheers again for jumping on, Roy. Really appreciate, appreciate your time. Um, good to catch up with you. We will be back in two weeks with a new episode. Um, looking back at some of the teams we've, we've not yet mentioned, we're still to make our way around the Devils, the Comets, um, Tayport, and of course the Edinburgh Cannons. In the meantime, give us a wee like, give us a wee follow on Facebook. If you can share the podcast on Spotify, all that good stuff. Really appreciate it. And if you are interested in getting involved with us here in ba- uh, in Scotland, here in baseball, I almost said. Uh, here in baseball in the wider sense as well, if you're further afield. Um, if you want to get involved, please do get in touch with Baseball Scotland. They'll be able to tell you about all the teams that are close to you, who the main contacts are, when winter training is kicking off, and it's just the perfect time before the season kicks off. Fellas, anything I've missed before we sign off? Um, I've not dissed the Yankees yet this week, so we'll leave that. I'll give you a double edition next time we're on the show, yeah? I'll count that. I'll chalk that up to a win, you and uh, just a that. Typical Yankees, he always trying to grab a win out of a draw. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, there's one there. I can only oh, do one next show. In at the death. In at the death. Fellas, enjoy your night. Thanks very much for joining Take me. Take care. Cheers, gentlemen. Thanks. Bye-bye.